0: Father, we thank you that we stand in a long line of believers who have been faithful through the ages. You have been leading your people through trial and difficulty and have always set before them hope for today and hope for a better tomorrow. We pray that you would bless us in our time as we seek to be faithful as our forebears. May we too know the faith which is filled with hope in things not seen. God, give us faith to walk with you through the ebb and flow and the victories and the defeats of life and to achieve victory and mastery of life. In his holy name we pray, amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. It's found on page 1284 in the Red Pew Bible. Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. Hear the word of God. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict.
1: Thank you, Scott. As we continue our journey through the story of the Exodus, I would encourage you to turn in your red pew Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. It may be found on page 71, Exodus chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this familiar story that brings us courage and strength and comfort in challenging times. We pray, O Lord, that as we read this familiar story again, that you might speak afresh and new to us, that we might hear from you, that our hearts might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 14 beginning with verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Herathon between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Ziphon. You shall encamp you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Bi- Piherathon, in front of baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What you have done to us in bringing us out of Egypt, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. "...which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground." And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Please join me as pray again. God, we thank you so much for this story. We pray, O oh Lord, that as I seek to share your word, that you might speak through me. That my words might be uh, honorable in your sight. In your son's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Now, chariots were a principal instrument of warfare in the plains of Egypt in ancient times. It was like a modern-day tank for us. In the open plains, chariots could move quite rapidly as they were pulled by two horses. And an Egyptian chariot would have two men, one to drive it and the other one to shoot arrows from it. Yes, chariots were an overwhelming weapon back then. Can you imagine how Fearful you might be if you were a slave from Israel who was walking along the shores of the Red Sea and you saw 600 chariots of Pharaoh coming at you. Not only that, as we read in verse 9 of our text this morning, it says that the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen, and his army overtook them and camped at the sea. It's not just 600 chariots, but it's all of Pharaoh's horsemen. All of his army are coming at you. The most powerful army in the world is coming at you. How would you feel if you saw Pharaoh's army charging towards you? I don't know about you, but I'd be quite frightful. How would you respond? Listen again to how the Egyptians, or the Israelites, respond to the coming of Pharaoh's army. to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It would have been better for us to to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The Israelites are so fearful that they have forgotten how bad it was to be a slave in Egypt. They have forgotten the fact that while they were slaves, they would often be whipped if they didn't reach the, create the the quota for bricks that was required of them each day. They'd forgotten how Pharaoh had ordered that every male boy Hebrew must be drowned in the Nile River. And what shocks me most is not only have they forgotten how bad it was to be a slave, but they've forgotten just how recently God has delivered them by sending 10 plagues on the people of Egypt. You remember the story. God sends these 10 plagues. God is able to turn water into blood. That God sends a plague of frogs, then a plague of gnats, then a plague of flies. Then God kills all the livestock of the Egyptians, but not the Israelites. And then God sends boils on the Egyptians, but not the Israelites. Then God sends a plague of hail to destroy all of the crops of the Egyptians, but not the Israelites. Then God sends locusts to Eat up any remaining crops of the Egyptians, but the locusts do not bother the Israelites. And then God, of course, he he sends darkness over the land. And most recently, God has killed the firstborn of every Egyptian, including the firstborn son of Pharaoh. And on top of that, God told Moses to tell the people of Israel that before they leave, they should go to their Egyptian neighbor and ask the Egyptians to give them all of their silver and gold. And remarkably, these Egyptians are so eager to have the Israelites leave that they do it. They give all of their silver and gold to the Israelites so that in essence, the Israelites have pillaged the Egyptians as they leave Egypt. God has been so faithful to provide for the Israelites, allowing them to leave Egypt with all of the silver and the gold of the Egyptians. Their bags are filled with the silver and gold of the Egyptians. And yet, when the Israelites see Pharaoh's army coming, they are so filled with fear that they completely forget about God's faithfulness, God's power to deliver them. Notice in their complaint to Moses, there is no mention of God. As you read about it in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11 to 12, it says, They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us up out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The Israelites don't blame God for their predicament. They don't turn to God. They, they blame Moses. They, they turn to Moses and blame him for their problems. The Israelites aren't even thinking about God. They're so focused on Pharaoh's army. They're so filled with anxiety. They can't begin to see how God could possibly deliver them. They're too focused on the troubles and the problems of the present to think that God could somehow save them. How often are we like that? When troubles come our way, we're so focused on the problem or, or the worries about the uncertainty that we, we can't see how God might deliver this. I, I even saw this in seminary my senior year. Many of my classmates had left uh, jobs and, and left everything to follow God's call into occupational se- Uh, uh, ministry, and and God was faithful to provide for them, to get a seminary degree from Princeton Seminary, and they had housing at Princeton, and they had a meal plan there, and, and they were provided for, but as we got to the very near end of graduation, many of them did not yet have jobs. They had been interviewing, churches had come, but, well, goodness, a pastor search committee is, is a notoriously slow process, and it involves lots of committees with lots of people with lots of meetings, and so it doesn't make a decision real quickly. And so a lot of my friends had, had applied for jobs, they had interviewed with these churches, they felt like God may be calling them, but they hadn't heard back from the churches yet. And they were just a few weeks away from graduation, and they thought, my goodness, I'm going to have a, a diploma from Princeton Seminary, but I'm not going to have a home. They were concerned and worried. Because they didn't know how they were going to live in the future. They didn't know what the future held. They forgot who holds the future. You ever been that way? So anxious about the future, things start happening. I remember when my wife and I first had Hannah and and, uh, Sarah had been working at Rice University and I was working at First Press Houston and and all of our financial needs were met when we had two incomes. But then we had Hannah and so Sarah decided to stop working to become a full-time mom and I had saved up, and we thought we had enough for all the different baby items you need, but I had no idea there were going to be so many doctor's visits, so many shots, and, and so many other knickknacks I had to buy. And before I knew it, I just saw my checking account shrink and shrink, and I'm like, how are we going to pay the bills? How is this all going to work out? And I became very anxious, worried about tomorrow, forgetting how God had always been faithful to care for me in the past. You ever been there before? Maybe you lose the, a job, you become anxious because you're not sure where the next paycheck is going to come, even though God has always provided work for you in the past. Maybe the dreaded diagnosis comes for you or a loved one, and you aren't sure if the treatments that have been prescribed will be effective. Maybe a relationship ends or a loved one dies, and you aren't sure how you can live life without them. Life can be filled with great uncertainty, which leads, it leads to great anxiety. How are we to respond when troubles come our way? Notice how Moses responds. Israel's in a panic, but not Moses. Moses sees everything that the Israelites see. Moses can see Pharaoh's army. Moses can see that there are 600 chariots. He can see the dust that's being stirred as these chariots quickly approach their position on the Red Sea. Yes, Moses knows that he does not have an army. But Moses sees what the Israelites and Pharaoh don't see. Moses sees that the Lord is still with them. Let's look again at Moses' response to the panic Of the Israelites. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 to 14, we read And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now, how was Moses? Able to see the Lord when all the Israelites, the only thing they could see was Pharaoh's army? How was it that Moses had eyes of faith to see the Lord when the rest of Israel could only see Pharaoh's army? Well, notice again exactly what Moses tells the Israelites to do in the midst of their fear fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Can you say that with me? Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Fear not. Anytime I find myself becoming anxious about the uncertain circumstances of life, if I become myself overly worried about something, I realize that fear is not from God. Because the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit now dwells within us, and the Holy Spirit is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. When I find myself becoming anxious, I need to remember that the Holy Spirit is within me. Fear is not from God. That is from the evil one. In fact, we know from the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit is greater than any evil power that may try to hurt us. In fact, as followers of Jesus, we know that we don't have to even fear death itself, because Jesus has already won the victory over both sin and death. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 to 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of the victory that Jesus has already won over both sin and death with his resurrection on the third day, we don't even have to fear death itself because we know that death is not the final say for those who call upon the name of the Lord. It's in the Bible as we read the scriptures, we'll see that the only thing we should really fear is the Lord. For as we read in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. When we read in Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord They believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. The people of Israel, when they're exposed to the great power of God, they have fear. It's a holy reverence of God because they can see that God alone is almighty, all-powerful. And he, thanks be to God, is on our side. Amen? Amen. Fear not. Stand firm and see. Stand firm. When Moses instructs the Israelites to stand firm, he's saying, don't run away in fear. Stand firm, hold to your faith, hold to the promises of God, hold to what you've already seen God do in your life. This phrase, stand firm, reminds me of what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth when he actually uses this story of the Exodus as an illustration of how the people of Israel were often unfaithful to God and how the Corinthians should not act like the people of Israel because they were filled with fear rather than faith. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 13 from the New International Version. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea, the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses and in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ." We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as an example, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, standing faithful, standing firm, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. As followers of Jesus, the way out for us is now the Holy Spirit. Who gives us power to overcome the temptations of this life, who by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can resist the temptations that seek to draw us away from God, the temptation of idolatry, the temptation of sexual immorality, the temptation of of grumbling. The problem that the Israelites have is that they're they're not standing firm. They're constantly grumbling. The the Israelites were tempted constantly in the wilderness, and they often failed. As we saw in Exodus 14, they they were tempted to flee. When Pharaoh's army came, in Exodus 16 and 17, when they could not readily find food or water, they are tempted to grumble against God, and they do. In Exodus 32, when Moses is on the top of Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, the the, the Israelites are tempted to, to take the gold that God has given them and to turn them into a golden calf, an idol that they might worship it instead of the one true God. This as John Calvin writes in the Institutes of the Christian Religion, "Our hearts are idle factories. We are too easily tempted to turn to temporal things like food, drink, sex, money, power, prestige, relationships and stuff to bring us comfort, to give us satisfaction. But as Mick Jagger used to sing many, many years ago, "I can't get no satisfaction." He tries and he tries and he tries, but he just can't get no satisfaction. And if you look at Mick Jagger's life, that man has tried everything you could possibly try. (laughs) He's tried it all with the drink and the drugs and the fame and the fortune and more women than any man would possibly want. But he's still not satisfied because only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies the longing we need for the unconditional sacrificial love of God. When things aren't going our way and our hearts begin to fill with fear, we can begin to think about the worst case scenarios or we can, we can stop. We can pray and we can stand firm on the promises of God as we meditate on God's word. We can remember the final words of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew that he will be with us to the very end of the age. We can remember what Paul writes in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We can remember the words of the Apostle John that we just read, that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Yes, we need to remember that Jesus has already won the victory over both sin and death for us with his resurrection on the third day. We need to stand firm and remember that because Jesus lives, we too shall live, that death doesn't have the final say for us who are in Christ Jesus. We need to fear not, Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. See. When Moses tells the Israelites to see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today, he's encouraging them to open their eyes of faith. Through the eyes of faith, we're able to see how the Lord is currently at work in our lives. As Pharaoh's army approaches the Israelites, all the Israelites can think about are the 600 chariots that are coming their way. They were focused on the trouble, not on the deliverance that God was going to bring. Fortunately, Moses had eyes of faith to see because Moses was focused on the Lord and not on Pharaoh's army. Moses was focused on the faithfulness and the power of God. Moses remembered how God had appeared to him in a burning bush and spoke to him. Moses remembered how God had just sent 10 plagues on the people of Egypt so the people of Israel might be set free. Yes, Moses remembered the faithful promises of God. Why was Moses focused on God when everybody else seemed to be focused on Pharaoh's army. Notice the final instructions that Moses gives to the people of Israel in verse 14 of our text this morning. Moses says, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. There's power in silence. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, we read, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. As we continue to read through the Exodus story, we'll see that time and time again, the people of Israel are quick to grumble, quick to complain to God. They are simply, they talk too much. And James, the brother of Jesus, and his epistle tells us that it's very hard to tame the tongue, but we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. One of the best ways we can train ourselves to listen well is to spend time in silence and solitude with God. Because when we're talking, we're not listening, but we need to listen to what God has to say so that we might see how he is at work, even in the midst of troubled times. When was the last time you spent some quality time alone in solitude and silence? Several years ago, I got to go on a 24-hour retreat where no one spoke. It was great. It was awesome. Now, initially, it was a little awkward. You know, you'd see people, you want to say hi, but you're not supposed to. And initially, my mind was racing with all the thoughts that were in my mind. But eventually, as I sat and rested in the silence, my mind slowed down, and I was able to hear God's voice a little bit more clearly as I meditated on his written word. You know, I think it's interesting. The two most prominent figures in the Old Testament, two of the most Prominent figures in the Old Testament are are shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Shepherds spend hours and hours and hours, days upon days, out in the wilderness herding sheep in the midst of God's creation, in the midst of the silence, listening to God speak. But as 21st century Americans, it's hard for us to find silence. We're we're in a a country, in a world with so much technology. We, we, We have constant background noise But what if the next time you got in your car, you didn't turn on the radio, you just drove? And with your eyes opened, quietly prayed and listened to God. What if the next time you went home alone, rather than turning on the TV, you just listened to what God might want to say? There's power in silence. In silence, we were able to hear God speak. Richard Foster, in his contemporary Christian classic, Celebration of Discipline, writes, Without silence, there is no solitude. Though silence sometimes involves absence of speech, it always involves the act of listening. The purpose of silence and solitude is to be able to see and hear. The next time we find ourselves becoming anxious and all we can do is focus on the problems of this world, we need to stop, we need to pray, we need to be still, and we need to be silent before the Lord so we might hear Him speak to us through His Word, words of comfort. Like Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we can see that there is great power in silence. For Jesus was mostly silent when the Sanhedrin brought their charges against him to Pilate. Jesus did not try to defend himself. Jesus was silent when he was brought before Herod. Jesus was silent when the soldiers were whipping him and flogging him. Yes, Jesus was silent on those final days, only saying just a few words while on the cross. Yes, Jesus was silent. And it was in the silence of that first Easter Sunday morning that God rolled away the stone And Jesus rose again. Yes, there is power in silence. If we will take the time, we need to be still and to know that he is God. For in silent meditation on God's word, we are able to remember the past faithfulness of God. In silence, we can see how the Lord is at work, even in the midst of troubled times. Yes, in silence, we can fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Please join me as we pray. God, we thank you that you speak to us in the silence, that all we have to do is to be still and silent, to know that you are the God who fights for us. So Lord, help us to take the time we need to be still, to be silent before you, so that we might hear you, and that we might be able to get word of our fears, to stand firm and see your work of salvation. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ and all God's people said.
0: Thank you, Howard. I don't know if you all know a good friend of mine, Sean May. Uh, Sean responded to God's call in his life, moved to Amarillo, Texas, which is a smart move, uh, from Florida.